This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And you're recording there also? Awesome. So before we start to, uh, tonight's share, as a public service announcement, this upcoming Sunday night, the 24th of July, we're going to be doing a Date Like a Pro seminar. It's a seminar that we've done many times before. Um, we also have an online version, but I always encourage people to do it in person. It's for people who are dating, for people who are thinking about dating, for people who are burned out from dating, for people who want skills are dating, and for mothers of daters. So it's a female-oriented class, just like this one, except for Shalva Hess. And um, anyone who would like to join us at that seminar, definitely feel free to sign up at datelikeapro.co, and we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right, so what is uh, what is tonight's topic? So tonight's topic is a topic called Nihusa. And before I get through the whole topic, I just have to prepare you that at the end, I'm going to be reading from a Sefer. Um, and when we get to the Sefer, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are not going to be happy with what the Sefer says. Because it almost sounds, if I may say, um, it almost sounds like something that somebody would say and then get like... Ba- a backlash for saying it. Like, how dare you say such a thing? But I, I want to build to get sort of like an understanding of of this specific mida because I think that it's something that everybody needs to work on. Now, many years ago, I was working in a camp and my job was, I had many jobs, but one of my jobs was I was the head OD. So a head OD in a boys camp um, is not a thrilling position because they just, it's, it's like a game of cat and mouse, like literally every single night. And I'll never forget that after one particularly, um, challenging evening where like the fire alarm went off and fire extinguishers went off and a few guys that stitched, like it was just like one of those nights. It was just like, it was pandemonium. It was like craziness going on. Um, I sat down with one of the Rebbeim and his name is Rebbe Pincus. Shamshan Pincus's brother, and he, we were sitting, and I was like sort of catching my breath after like a really long evening. And he turns to me and he's like, Ruvain, mind you, I was like 17 years old. He's like, Ruvain, did you start davening for your children yet? So I said, Davening for my children? Yeah, what are you talking about? I'm 17 years old. He said, No, no. After a night like this, you go back to your room, you sit down, and you say some kapitlach to him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think you see the underbelly of the beast, like what it means to deal with certain challenging situations. You start davening right now for your children. And I went back and I said some really good kapitloch tehillim. Of course, it uh, pays its dividends years later. But the, the point that I'm trying to drive at is that tonight's class is, if you're single, if you're married, children... This is one of those things where really, really drives to the heart of a person in any stage that you are. So some of the ideas that you hear, you might say, eh, it's not really for me at this point. It's not true because it really takes a long time to sort of get yourself to that point. So let's, let's, without all this introduction, what are we talking about tonight? So tonight's concept is nichusa. And nichusa means very simply, divrei chachamim benachas. A person speaks bimenucha, something that I think everybody would almost define as the defining mida. Like what does it mean to have good midos? Is that you talk nicely to people, right? That's what most people think it means to have good midos. So actually, number 11 is nichuza, that somebody talks bimenucha, they talk benachas, they talk calmly and serenely. And that is sort of like step number one. 
that a person talks gently, wise people speak gently. Now, there's a very famous Gemara, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, but it's Kedai to say, just as like an introduction here. There's a Gemara which talks about Hillel. So Hillel, we know very famously, he was a very calm person. And the Gemara says that Hillel, one day, he was taking a shower, is there of Shabbos? It's a Gemara in Shabbos. He was taking a shower, he was taking a bath, whatever he was taking. And there was a man who came knocking on his door. And he said, are you the famous Hillel? Yes, I have a very important question for you. And Hillel came out of the bath. And Hillel said, what's your question? And this guy said to him, could you tell me why people from Bavel have slanty heads? Their heads look like, you know, like a cone head. And Hillel happened to be that he was from Bavel. So the man was sort of like trying to get under his skin. He was what we would call today a troll. Okay, and he's trying to troll Hillel into getting upset. So Hillel is sitting there and Hillel says, well, that's a brilliant question. And he tells him that it's based on the midwives and Bavel are not so good. And therefore, the children, when they're born, they come out and, and he gives him an answer. And the man says, oh, wow, thank you so much. And Hillel goes back into his bath. And then this guy knocks on his door again. And Hillel says, yes, can I help you? And he says, could you tell me why the people of a certain town, why they have squinty eyes? And Hillel comes out and he says, well, it's a brilliant question. My child, I'll tell you why. And he gives him an answer. And he, his answer is because the sand that blows, um, that's why they need to have squinty eyes to protect them from, okay, fine. So then Hillel gets back in the bath. And then this guy knocks on the door again, and he says, I have a third question, a very hard question for you. Why is it that certain people have wider feet? People from Africa. So he said, well, because the soil that they walk on, they need wider feet. Hashem gave them the feet that they need to walk on those things, and therefore their feet adapted to that climate. Okay, and this guy turned to Hill and he said, I don't understand something. I'm here trying to troll you. I'm trying to drive you crazy. And you're clearly not getting upset. Like, what's going on? And Hill answers him, because I'm not getting upset. And the guy says, but you don't understand. I had a bet with my friend, 400 zoos, a tremendous amount of money, that I could get you upset. I'm like a professional troll. I am on the Shiva world every day in the coffee room, click, 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 trying to get people upset. And you're the only guy that didn't fall for it. Why is it that you didn't fall for my, for my shenanigans? And Hill said, because it would be better for you to lose all this money than for me to get upset. And that's, that's the end of this Gemara. Now, it's very... Interesting Gemara. What does the Gemara really tell us? Tell us that Hillel, I mean, it tells us three different reasons, you know, three different people, why they have slanty eyes or cone heads or wide feet. But what is the Gemara telling us? The Gemara is telling us that Hillel didn't get upset. Okay. Sounds like a nice story. But I think that there's a lot of depth to the story. Something that I've spoken about in the past, which I recently read in a, in a book, I'll call it a psychology book, not a Jewish book but a book that I think sheds a lot of light. And it, when I read this, it sort of gave me a certain hischivus for myself. I'll explain to you what I mean. We always think that a person needs to work on their midos. You need to be calm, for example. person has to be calm. Why? Because if you're not calm, you don't have good midos, right? That's what we say. Work on your midos, because if you don't, then you're just, you're just not a good person, right? You just don't have good midos. Okay? It's true. And in the past, we've spoken, we've taken this sort of to like another level, and we said that not only does a person have to work on their midos, but we tend to blame other people for our shortcomings in our midos, right? So what do we do? We go ahead and we say to ourselves, you know, why is it that I'm upset? Because Sarah got me angry. Because a guy went out with me 32 times and then he strung me along and then he dropped me. Or because my mother, whatever. We always have a reason why other people are at fault for our shortcomings. And we spoke about this in the past. And we said that's absolutely false. You are in charge of yourself. If you got upset today, the reason is because you allowed yourself to get upset. 
right? We spoke about this in the past, and we said that a person shouldn't be like a puppet on a string, like that other people are the ones that are at fault or or causing you to be, you know, up today or down today. And we've spoken about this in the past. Torah Anytime actually did like a little clip about this. Don't be like a puppet on a string. And they sent it out and was seen by millions of people. Beautiful. But tonight, I want to tell you about the third layer behind this. And I think that this layer is really like the key to a lot of things. So this book says, it's not as simple as we just made it. There's actually a depth to this. Let's go to the story of Hillel. If I ask you, tell me why Hillel didn't get upset at this man. Why? Did, did Hillel need like a good shit up for his children? Did Hillel not think that like his time was valuable? Like what was shot in Hillel not getting upset? What was the reason? So I'm going to tell you a very interesting reason. The reason is because Hillel did not have anger inside of him. That's why. The reason why we get upset is because inside of us is anger. When somebody pushes our buttons, all they're doing is they're scratching the surface of a pimple that has pus underneath. And that pus rises to the top. And then we blame it on them. We go, oh, look what you just did to me. That's not true. If we don't have anger inside, then somebody can do something. They could try to push every one of our buttons and there's nothing coming out of us. You could squeeze and squeeze and squeeze, and the only thing that you'll get is just Avas Yisrael. Oh, you have a question for me? Oh, how could I help you? What else do you need from me? You know, the Tasha Rebbe, after the Muhammad, after the war, he got like a new Bakasha and pants that matched each other. There's a very fam- like a fast, a fantastic book by Sheryl Besser on the Tasha Rebbe. You should read this book. Fascinating book. You saw somebody who was oozing with Alvas Yisrael. So Tasha Rebbe, I believe he was in the mikvah on Friday, and somebody came in and saw the bekasha, saw the pants, and he went ahead, he grabbed the bekasha, and he ran out. This was after the war. Nobody had anything. And the Tasha Rebbe came out, and he chopped what happened, and he turned to his gabai, and he said to him, oh, somebody stole my bekasha. So the guy said, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, he stole your bekasha. He said, what's this yid going to do without the matching pants? We have to find him. He needs those pants. He can't run around with just a bakasha. You need the whole the whole outfit. Clearly the guy didn't have anything, so he stole my bakasha. Please try to find this guy so we can locate him. We can just give him the pants. Because what was going on inside the Tashareba was nothing but Avasisal. So when you pushed him, what oozed to the surface was Avasisal. And Hill Hazakim, that was all that he had inside was Avasisal. He wasn't sitting there going, calm down, calm down, gotta make it through this. Okay, what can I do for you? That was not him. It was complete Avas Yisrael from beginning to end. And I, I, I think that the key to this Midah, like we always say there's the external and the internal Midah, is that it's not about being that person who needs the Shadach or trying to raise your children and you're sitting in the other room like, taking deep breaths so you don't lose it on your family, that that's the mina. Like, wow, talk nicely. No. It's that you have to put inside of yourself such a depth of, of, of nachas. Nachas meaning calmness. Avas Yisrael, loving other people, loving your spouse, loving yourself, 
loving your children, loving the people you work with, you work with, filling yourself with just greatness so that when there is a test, the only thing that comes out when you're squeezed is something that's positive. And I think that that's the challenge of this Mida. It's not just about talking nicely. It's about filling yourself up with so much goodness that the only thing that comes forth from you is goodness. That's a challenge. Now, a few years ago, I met with somebody who, a person who studies the body a lot. It's like a whole long story, which I don't want to talk about on camera. But this guy was like a whole mumcha and stuff. And I sat down with him. And he looked at me, and I was going through a particularly stressful thing in my life. And he turned to me and he goes, oh, um, I see that you're really stressed. So I was like, is it like a parent on my face that I'm stressed? And he said, well, let me, let me tell you something. And this is what he shared with me. He said, when somebody is paigea in your kavod, it feels kaved and it affects your kaved. When somebody slights you or you feel slighted, it feels heavy. And that heaviness, that stress, it affects your liver. So this guy said to me, he said, I don't see it on your face, but I could tell that your liver is like overworking. And I was like, what? <laughs> okay. So again, this guy studies the body, whatever. And I was like, okay. And he said to me very interesting words, which it's changed my perspective. He said, when you get upset, whatever the reason is for anything, he said, I just want to tell you the only person you're hurting is yourself. Other people could not care less. You're, you're almost never going to achieve your goal just because you got angry or angrier or raised your voice. It, it's not going to happen. So he's like, my advice to you as a medical professional is stop hurting yourself. The only one you're hurting is yourself. Like, take this stress and learn how to deal with this stress. And it was, it was interesting because he like sat and he was like showing me like, this is how you de-stress. And this is how it was very fascinating. Again, please don't email me about this. I don't want to talk about it. But it was a very interesting meeting where like, Th- th- those those words like ring in my mind. Who are you hurting when you're getting upset? Yourself. Nobody else. Nobody cares. And because of that, I was like, you know what? Like, I-, I have to learn how to sort of like get through this a little bit like easier. Now, take this to the next level. Okay. The the second part of this is it says divrei chachamim benachas that chachamim speak with nachas umihiyais toiv. And even when you're trying to be good, you're trying to do something good, I'll tick Ra. Don't be called bad. What does that mean? So I'll share with you my interpretation of this. I deal with a lot of couples, people who are in, you know, not such great places, let's call it. And sometimes there's parents to children and sometimes it's, you know, husbands to wives or whatever. Now, what I find is that when I'm sitting with a couple, so hopefully in my office, they're on their best behavior. But very often, even within the best behavior, it le- there's a lot that, you know, can be worked on, let's call it, okay? Now, even when they're on the best behavior, I hear what goes on at home, right? And you hear about the yelling, the screaming, the upset and all of that. Now, a lot of times I'll say to somebody, can you explain to me, like, how do you talk to your spouse like that? Or sometimes I'll even say like straight up, like let's say a couple's 50 years old. I said, you have any children? Yes, we have a 19-year-old daughter, whatever. Okay, if your 19-year-old daughter came home with a chassan and you heard your daughter screaming at her husband, 
in the other room on Shabbos. Like they're in your house for Shabbos, and they're in the other room, and you hear your daughter screaming the way you're screaming at your husband. What would you say? She's like, well, I, I would I would take my daughter and say, this marriage is over, right? You're coming home. You're staying home. You get this guy. I'm saying this is not working, right? And I'll say like, so I don't understand something. Where does your daughter learn how to be a wife if not from her mother? Like where does she learn how to talk to somebody if not from her mother? And like, oh yeah, well, let me explain to you why I scream and why I yell. And what's the answer? Answer always is that they're trying to get something out of the other person. I'll say that again because it's important. People don't identify it because we just let our emotions take over and we lose track of what we're trying to do. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to get something from the other person. If you want to look at it in a positive light, we spoke about this last year before Yom Kippur, you're really trying to get closer to the person. You want to spend more time with the person. You want things to be better with the person, right? But even when it's not, the person, you know, I just spoke to a mother, her her, her kid misses Man Kriyashma. So what, so what do you do? I, I yell at him, I scream at him, I, I, you idiot, you're so stupid, and what type of person are you, right? And wives say this to husbands all the time, I can't stand you, you're driving me crazy, could you stop doing this, right? People lose themselves. Why? Why are you doing that? The answer is because you're trying to get something out of the person. You feel that the way that you go about the normal way, which is, hi, can you please get up because it's, you know, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, could you start your day? That doesn't work. So the way that you feel that you get somewhere is by yelling and screaming at the person. Now, where do we learn that behavior? When we're children. When we're children, we're taught that if you yell and scream and you throw a fit or whatever, that that's what works. So we become adult children who learn how to yell and scream at the other person with our, our brain is telling us, try to get something from this person. Try to get them up. Try to get them to spend more time with you. Try to... Now, if you think about those words, it's so comical. Because nobody wants to spend more time with somebody who's screaming and yelling at them. Nobody wants to spend more time with somebody who, who's putting them down and making them, like, belittling them. Nobody wants to. So, here's, here's these words again. Even when you think you're doing good, you're trying to, like, accomplish something good. Like, I'm trying to get closer to you. What's wrong with you? Like, why don't you want to spend more time with me? I'll take Rera. Because you look like a Meshuggah. You look totally crazy. Who wants to spend time with that? Nobody. Don't be called the bad one, even in the things that you're trying to accomplish. So people say, so what's my choice? If, if I can't do that, so then I, I'm just going to shut down. I hear this from people every single day. So, so if I can't, if I can't scream at him, so fine. So I'm, I'm out of it. I'm out of it. I, I can't, I don't know what to do. Fine, fine, fine. I'll just become a shmata. I'll do whatever he wants. I'll just, fine, do whatever you want. No. It's about finding that equilibrium, which is where you learn as a parent to be authoritative, but normal, sensible. You put up parameters. As a wife, you learn how to talk to your husband with a balance that you're not exploding, but you're not shutting down either, right? If you talk about bad marriages, bad marriages are people screaming at each other, right? Also just ignoring each other. (laughs) Ignoring each other doesn't mean you have a great marriage just because nobody's screaming in your house don't have a marriage, not talking to each other. So imploding or exploding are just two sides of that bad coin. So what's the, what's the balance? The balance is, is that you learn to say, honey, dear, you know what I would appreciate? Can we spend some time together? You learn how to have that, that middle ground. And that middle ground is this mida. It's learning to talk, to talk, to have words. Dvarim, we spoke about last time. What are words? 
Words are an expression of chachma. Something that comes out of your mouth, that's chachma. This is what I would like. And you learn how to do it calmly. Because you're being pressed, and what's coming out of you is good. That is the key to this. And I'm going to read you some words over here. He says as follows. Shahatza'aka v'hakas. Screaming and anger is noe, is appropriate, lechsilim, for fools, v'lerishayim. So when somebody's yelling and screaming, you should know you've adopted the midah of foolish people and Risham, even if you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to be good. You're standing up for the right thing. I'm standing up for Zman Kriyashma. I'm standing up for our marriage. I'm standing up for, and everyone always has a principle why they're standing up for what they're standing up for. I'm standing up for this because you're ruining the whole family. Fine. But you're screaming, you're also ruining your whole family. You lost it, you're also ruining your family. But that doesn't make any sense because I'm the only one here who's sane. I'm the only one here who's normal because I figured out that this is what's wrong. You're trying to do the right thing. I'll take away Ra. You're called Ra. The media that you just adopted in your righteousness is Lechsilim V'lerishayim for foolish people and evil people. And even when a person has to be serious and they have to make a point, a person nevertheless should go out of their way. Do not ever deviate from this mida, even kechut hasaira, even a drop. Like Chazal say, even when you're trying to do good, don't be called bad. So the mida is that not only do you have to be good, not only do you have to stand up for good, you have to fill yourself like a jelly donut with good. So that when somebody squeezes, all that comes out is jelly. That is what this mida is. And it's very challenging because we think we just have to be a nice guy and then it will work. But it doesn't necessarily work that way. Now, Adkan Hakafarishin. Let me just go into the second stage over here. Okay? So, I made a bracha before, so nobody suspect anything here that we're not Jewish. We're, we're still Jewish. Okay. Now, the problem is, is that sometimes I find when I'm speaking to people who are from, let's call it like a bit of an older generation, and doesn't mean that they're necessarily that they're older, but like a certain hashkafa of how to deal with their families or how to deal with whatever it is, they go, come on, this is ridiculous. When I grew up, if you got up two minutes late, bam, you know, the fireworks were going off. My father would take off his belt and start smashing everybody in the family or if there was something out of line, whack, like something was always off. So they say, come on. Today, like, oh, you have to be so nice and so sensitive and everyone's so sensitive. Like, what's going on over here? So I want to read from you, read for you, from the Savior called Chayvah Satalmidim, which is, in my opinion, a must-read for everybody. They translated this into English, and it's, I have every single page folded down, like twice. <laughs> the top of the page, and then the bottom of the page. I literally, like, I have this entire book folded down. Okay? But I want to read for you a couple of pages here, which, again, this is not coming from some 
person who has a vendetta against like the yeshiva system or anything like that. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to try not to even use many of my words. I want to sort of read his words so we could like sort of understand like the, the depths of what he's saying here. Okay. This is all the way in the beginning of the book. He says as follows, and I'll read you the English. Okay. He talks about, he's talking about how so many children today, they're empty. They're, our younger generation has turned to kfira. And they're, they don't have any faith. They have no Yerushimayim. Some of them even hate Hashem. Like, he goes into like how so many people are struggling. Okay. And he says as follows. Okay. He says, again, just, just like, let's just remind yourself who's talking over here. Okay. He says, some administrators and Russia Yeshiva who are preoccupied with their institutions and their students and are concerned only with Kali Yisrael's elite. They console themselves by saying, yes, it's true that there are many who have left the Torah ways, right? But Kali Yisrael still has so many young men who are out, outstanding scholars and whose hearts remain loyal to Hashem. She says, well, they say, fine, it's true there are many people who are struggling, but look inside my base medrash. Look how full it is. Look at my unzerat tamidim, like our people, our, you know, the ones that are doing so well. I once had a story not sure if I should say this. Okay, I'll say the story. I once had a story. Um, a certain rub that I met with. And I was telling him about some of the things I was dealing with. And he was not handling it. He's clearly not handling it very well. He was like, no, can't be, exaggerating, whatever. At one point, I even put somebody on the phone who I was dealing with. I said, I'm here with this and this rub. Can you tell him about your life? And this rub went, this person went ahead, shared their story. And the rub was like, no, they're exaggerating, exaggerating. And then a lot of the stories he was saying, yeah, but it's not Unzura. It's not, it's not ours. It's not, uh, like, it's not, it's not my people. It's not the ones. So I said, well, some of them, you know, learned by you in, in, in whatever. And some of them this and that. And he was like, yeah, but they're not Unzura. They're not Unzura. So I said, well, the ones that were Unzura, the ones that were yours, you threw them out. Right? So like, what, like, it's very easy to say like, well, Unzura, like ours are doing great because who's ours? The only ones that you kept in are the ones that are like still doing great. But I share with him three stories and then I left him. And before I left him, I said, I just want to tell you that those three stories that I just told you that you don't believe are people who actually, they daven in your shul. And I just want to tell this to you because I feel like you're not, you're not hopping what's going on, you know, today in, in today's world. This is not me talking. This is him talking. He says, if they would poke their heads out of the four walls of their yeshiva, they would see the great masses of Jews who have freed themselves from the Torah life They'll see that the Churban of Yushalayim has played itself out once again. And he goes into talking about, you know, how the people, the handful of yeshiva students who are there, and even though today we're doing great, is this all of Klai Yisrael? 80%, 90% of Yidin are totally fried, no shaykhs to anything. Many of the people who are within our machna are very empty. So he's not really so happy about the situation, let's call it, Okay. And he says, as a matter of course, we're used to regarding our stumbling youth as though they alone are to blame. It's their problem. This guy, this Meshuggah, this kid, this Bachar, this person, this girl, whatever, who's struggling. It's her fault. She's the one who has a problem. While regarding ourselves as entirely innocent. But we must take note. And he goes on to say, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu entrusted us with our families. He entrusted us with our neshamas. He entrusted us with each other. How do we have a right to just sit back and go, well, it's their problem. It's not their problem. He says, it's our problems. 
Let's be honest. Are the youth really the ones to blame? Are they not also descendants of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, who have neshamas? Are we fooling ourselves and just simply saying, yeah, we do our best? You know, is that, is that what we're supposed to do? He says, no. The older generation who's responsible for educating our children and imparting to them the holiness inherent in serving Hashem, it's kedai to read this. It's very long. It's kedai to read this just to like get that, that thing. Okay? Now, why am I saying all this to you? Because he expresses what he feels is the issue. Okay? I'm going to skip a, a little bit over here. Okay? He says that we all familiar with the concept that before Mashiach comes, chutzpah yazke, that chutzpah will become very prevalent. And you hear this from people all the time. I never would have spoken, you know, to my parents like that. Or if I did, that would be the last thing I ever would have said. Like you hear that all the time from people, right? I think like every generation they say that. But 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 we hear it that today it's like mamish like the worst of the worst of the worst, you know? Fine. Fine. It's true. He says, why is that? So I want you to listen to this. He says that there's two reasons for this. The first is that the younger generation regards every counselor and educator as a tyrant who seeks to rule over them with an iron fist and rob them of their independence and freedom of thought. This is this instinctive resistance also often stirs a certain kind of hatred within the hearts of the young person, an inner hatred directed at his teachers and his parents to the extent that it blocks his heart from hearing and internalizing their messages. And the only thing that concerns them is how does he free himself of them and how does he escape their grasp? Okay? He's writing this right before World War II, mind you. He's not writing this five years ago. And he goes on to say that you should know that in previous generations, listen to these words, a child's personality and sense of self, the sensitivities that a person has today, starting 80 years ago, he says, until basically from the from the Bayashani till today, till World War II, he says it did not develop until the person was older. So the child, the person, was like a new smooth sheet of paper, ready and waiting for his teachers and his mentors to record their words and ideas. So a parent would say to a kid, get up, okay, get up. That was it. Today, the kid has a personality and the kid has a sensitivity and he's like, do I want to get up? What time is it? What time is the other's man Kriyashma? Right? Maybe I want to do things a little bit different. And because of that, people who used to just be able to simply say and direct and push, and I'm not going to say the words get away with it, but that was actually considered successfully being mechanach somebody else, it does not work anymore. He says educators and parents and husbands and wives need to understand that you are dealing today and in the future, this is like prophetic in what he is saying 89, 80, 90 years ago, that the world is about to change and people are about to change. And the curse of chutzpah is that a person has a sense of themselves that is greater than what it, what it's supposed to be. Now it's a problem in a sense. Because kids used to just be very obedient and do whatever it was. And in a certain sense, in the shtetl, that's how many people lived. And in certain cultures today, even you have that also. People, okay, they don't know anything. They don't ask anything. But in most of our circles, this is the reality. That a person has a sense of themselves and they have their opinions and they have their sensitivities and they have their questions. And simply saying to them, we don't ask or mitunish or you're not, you know, that's not what we do. That doesn't fly anymore. People actually have concerns. 
Now, why am I saying all this to you? Because I think that the concept of dealing with people the way that this is how it was back in Naheim doesn't necessarily fly anymore. And in order for a girl to be a successful wife and mother, and in order for a boy to be a successful husband and father, in order for parents to be successful in raising their children, they have to be in tune with the emotional needs of the other person. And a part of that, a big part of that, is that you have a conscious awareness that the way that you interact with other people is directly impacting them their sense of self, and how they themselves will conduct themselves in their future relationships. A a mother's interaction with her husband is teaching a daughter how to be a wife. And people don't realize this. They come to my wife all the time. They go, here, here's my daughter. She has issues. Fix her in eight sessions. And I was like, you ruined her in 22 years and you're supposed to fix her. It doesn't work that way. The, the person's whole sense of self, of sen- sense of what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a, a mother, what it means to be all these things came from you. You have to have that awareness and only with that awareness are we able to transmit something that's healthier to the next generation. So this concept of nihusa is not just about being a nice guy. A, it means you need to be a nice guy. B, it means you need to fill yourself up with so much goodness that even when you're pressed, the only thing that comes out is goodness. And C, it means that not only can you say, well, you know what? The way that I interact with people is because I have a reason for it and I have a principle for it and I, I need to, I need to be mechanic my children. That today is not called chinuch. That today is not called shalom bias. What worked 100 years ago, 200 years ago, does not work today. Of course, there are principles that stand, they're timeless. Aaron Akayin was Ayyav Shalom, of Shalom. Those things are timeless. But the sensitivities of a person today and addressing and fulfilling those sensitivities and the emotional needs of a person more than ever before in history, those things have to be addressed. And I'm going to share with you one last very quick story. A few years ago, I was by a chasana. There was a certain gadol that was by this chasana. And somebody introduced me to this gadol. He just said, oh, this is Ruvian Epstein. And I think the two of you should should talk. And this gadol, he, he heard of me through somebody else. And I was just sitting there like, you know, <laughs> like looking at my hands. Like, I, you know, I don't know like what to say. I was just like, quiet. You know, it's always good to be quiet. And, um, and this gadol turned to me and he said, I just want to share with you one small thing. And he basically said what was said over here. He said, I just want to tell you something. That until World War II, there was a Messiah that was given down from parents to children how to be healthy people. It was given down. And then, unfortunately, that Messiah was very disrupted. And we have to understand that what we're dealing with today, in a certain sense, are things that have never, ever existed in the history of Kal Yisrael. And you have to have an awareness as somebody who's teaching chasanim or dealing with couples that it's not a given that people know what it means how to talk to their spouse. It's not a given that a person naturally knows what it means just to have inner confidence, how to have an emotional equilibrium. It's not a given anymore. It used to be a given. And people who deviated from this, they deviated. It was like, wow, like an anomaly. Or because of a haskala, like they had like, a problem, you know, intellectually, you know, wrapping their minds around certain things. 
Today, that's not necessarily the case. He said to me, many people are growing up in homes that it's just not there. The healthiness is not there. And you should know when you're sitting with people that this has to be given over. In a certain sense, I hope that this class at least opens up people's light, like like opens up their eyes to this concept. That the idea of just being a nice guy is not enough. The idea of, of infusing ourselves and starting off, like I said all the way in the beginning of this class, infusing ourselves that we are actually raising our children tonight at this table, even if we don't have children, that is the best chinuch that you can give to your children. Just simply learning how to talk nicely. Because you filled yourself up with niceness, with goodness, with Avas Yisrael. Just that is the greatest single thing that you can give your children. Greatest single thing that you could give your marriage. If you don't do that, you could try to patch everything up after. But it's not just about being a nice guy. It's about understanding that what you have inside of you is really contagious. And you're giving that over. You're lighting that torch to the rest of your families. And if you do that, and you master that, then and only then you can say, wow, I'm somebody who has good midos. Only if you got there. Otherwise, you're just a nice guy. But when you're pressed and things don't go so so great, that's when the challenges start to happen. And that's when the, the things that are not so good start to come out. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.